The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thanks for joining us for another edition of Winning Ponies. Hope to bring you a slew of winners and uh, broaden your horizons on the world of racing. Uh, came up with some excellent guests, uh, one that I've uh, got to know for a long time over the years, and you've got to know him too if you've watched any television out of Chicago, and that would be handicapper Joe Christofek. Uh He's a self-proclaimed horse racing ambassador, and he does an excellent job of that. Of course, uh, you've got to be uh, pretty savvy to be the morning line maker at Arlington Park, and I can't think of a tougher job than being line maker at Kentucky Downs with horses coming in from all over and few of any having a repeat trip over the track. Uh, he's a racing writer for the Daily Herald. Um, Joe's been all over, very, very uh, well-respected. Uh, he's been on a lot of television shows, and uh, nobody's got their pulse on Chicago racing better than Joe. And what a big weekend they're going to have up there. We're going to look at four graded stakes races at Arlington. And, man, these are some tough fields. I can't wait to get Joe's insight. Uh, we've got the, the Modesty Handicap, Grade 3, the American Derby, another Grade 3. Uh, these are all uh, grass races, the Stars and Stripes, and then the Arlington Handicap. Again, all those graded stakes races, so might be able to come up with some good multiple bets for you to get your teeth in there up in Chi-Town this week. We'll zoom in on that. And then uh, a gentleman that I just met this week, um, I don't believe we've ever had a bloodstock agent on the show since I've been hosting it, and his name is Connor Foley. And uh, for a guy that appears to be kind of young, he's got some unbelievable uh, experience. Uh, he was the stakes coordinator uh, for the Breeders' Cup, so you can imagine the combination of North American and European uh, horses and horsemen uh, that he came in uh, contact with. He was accepted into the Darley Flying Start program. If you know anything about that, it's uh, an international management training program where you get your hands on just about everything in the sport. So uh, he's been in France, Australia, Hong Kong, Canada, India, Japan, Ireland. So he's seen racing uh, in a lot of places and on a lot of sides. And then he worked with Darley's American operation for five years with uh, Darley American. He was responsible for analyzing and predicting the success of their individual racehorses and sires. What a responsibility. Well, uh, he has uh, branched out on his own right now, and he has Oracle Bloodstock, and he's had quite a bit of success 
in the time he's had that. So we'll be talking also with Connor Foley here on the show. All right, let's get to some news. It looks like uh, Rosie's going to wait till Saratoga to make her comeback. Uh, you may recall that she sustained a soul- shoulder separation, easy for me to say, June 16th when a horse she was just working out at Churchill Downs uh, broke down. Uh, she's been getting on horses at Belmont since July 5th, and um, she was considering riding this Saturday to Arlington, but said she wants one more week. And in her words, I didn't want to rush back. I want to give myself a little more time to improve the strength of my shoulder, and I want to make sure I'm 100% for Saratoga. Another good back-in-the-saddle story, Larry Jones is back galloping horses at Delaware Park. Uh, he's not galloping as many as he used to, but you may recall it was about 11 weeks ago where he was involved in a serious riding accident that had him in intensive care. Uh, it was back in uh, mid-April at Delaware Park. A two-year-old reared and bolted sideways. He hit his head. He actually had bleeding on the brain, and uh, it's been kind of a tentative comeback, but and he wasn't even sure if he would be getting on horses. He started out ponying about five weeks after the accident, and uh, now he admits that he's been galloping horses for about three weeks. I do believe that uh, he said he probably won't be getting up on any rangy two-year-olds, but it's just part of his training regimen, and he admits that it's the worst accident uh, that he ever had. Uh, his ribs and lungs are healed, but he's still dealing with some effects of the head injury. I can't Imagine how dangerous that is, getting up and galloping a horse. But uh, what can I say? That, uh, that's Larry Jones. Well, uh, the Central Kentucky lost a very good friend in um, veterinarian Doug Byers, who passed away this week. I had a chance to meet him down at Old Friends Farm through my friend Michael Blowen, and he was basically the farm vet. Um, and he, there wasn't anything he wouldn't do for the people at Old Friends, the horses at Old Friends. Um, Michael said, you know, I'll just call on you now and then. He said, hey, you better call on me anytime you need me. And uh, so he was out at the farm uh, at all times. Uh, just a, a very well-respected horseman in the central Kentucky area. He's uh, certainly going to be missed by the people at Old Friends. In 2007, he became the first private equine vet ever to receive the Robert Kirk Award for Professional Excellence uh, in that award's 18-year history. So I know he will be missed. As a matter of fact, I was there the day that they presented him with a sign that I believe said Byers Drive or Byers Boulevard that led to Old Friends Farm. So uh, our thoughts go out to his family and uh, sadly to our friends at Old Friends. Uh, here's a, not one of the happier stories I get to bring this week. Well, we... Uh, found out that Doolahan has been euthanized due to colic. Now, he was just uh, retired, and they were making stud plants for him, a multiple grade one winner. Uh, just recently, uh, of course, he belonged to, uh, to Don Eagle Racing. Uh, back in October, uh, he had a little bit of a tendon injury, and so he... Uh, they, they took off for him. He, he was at Windstar Farm near Versailles, Kentucky, uh, when the colic uh, occurred. Uh, you may recall we've had Jerry Crawford uh, on this uh, airwaves before, and just an outstanding guy, and uh, really sorry to hear that uh, this horse is, has passed and uh, we won't have a chance to see any little doula hands um, in the breeding shed. Who we will see, though, 
who has uh, the same connections, is uh, O'Prado again, and he's going to the legendary Darby Dan Farm. You may recall he won the 2011 Remsen Stakes as a two-year-old, and he's going to stand at Darby Dan. He's now four. He's a son of El Prado, and he's only going to stand for $5,000. So Darby Dan says they are just uh, thrilled uh, to have him. Of course, he's According to uh, John Phillips, the owner of Darby Dan, he says, I've never seen a better-looking son of El Prado, who's obviously proven himself as a serious sire of sires with the likes of Medaglia Dioro and Kitten's Joy. And again, this horse was, was bought by Jerry Crawford's Donegal Stable, and Connor Foley, the bloodstock agent that we'll be talking to later in the show, uh, was a part of that sale. It'll be interesting to get his read on it. The last time I spoke to Connor was before we got the news uh, about uh, Dullahan. So um, I certainly am I'm glad to know that uh, uh, that. Oprado again has been retired, and uh, at least uh, Jerry will get a chance to breed him. Um, another good comeback story, Cowboy Jones, 71 years old. He's supposed to ride a race Saturday at Ellis Park. Uh, unbelievable, if you know his story. Uh, he's uh, been a yearly fixture at Ellis Park since he began riding there, get this, in 1959. Um, he wants one more first-place finish. We'll probably retire after that. But uh, one more win would mean he would have ridden winners in seven consecutive decades. But those victories haven't come in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000. Uh, just hasn't won one since 2010. So he's realistic enough to know that his window of opportunity is limited, but he's going to give it a, a shot. So uh, he's down at the pea patch at Ellis Park. If you want to see him, Cowboy Jones at 71 years old is still cowboying. So uh, the uh, best of luck to him. One of the big stories out there, uh, of course, the the star filly untappable. Where will she go next? And uh, still going back and forth about whether or not she's going to go against the boys on July 27th in the Grade 1 Haskell Invitational or stay against the girls and go against the Coaching Club American Oaks. Although the uh, field for the Haskell is beginning to come into focus, and it looks like it's going to be a good one, including in there Bayern, the runaway winner of the seven furlong, Woody Stevens on Belmont Stakes Day is supposed to get there. Uh, Albano, who's coming out of a race with a 100 buyer, it was the Grade 3 Pegasus at Monmouth, uh, says that uh, they'll be going to the Haskell. And let's turn the clock back. Fountain of Youth Stakes winner and Florida Derby runner-up, Wildcat Red, is supposed to show up for the Haskell. And then Orson made a big splash earlier in the year. I hope we get to find out how good he really is. Social inclusion um, is expected to come, and uh, he'll be in there for what we know that uh, the field right now we only have a few that are guaranteed to go, but the ones that are going to go are awfully good ones. Well, let's take a, uh, a look now at some of our races from last week. Our good friend Tom Lamar from the Blood Horse was with us. Of course, the, the eye popper was uh, the Los Alamitos Derby. It, let's face it, this came down to a two-horse race, and you, you've got no excuse for, for not hitting the exotics in here. And it, it was shared belief uh, showing everybody that he really is the deserved champion that he was. Jerry Hollendorfer, of course, gave him some time off after uh, finding a little hitch in his get-along. And what he proved, two things. He can run on dirt, 
and he can go long. It was a mile and an eighth, first race on the dirt. Uh, the candy boy, the, the top threat, came to him at the head of the lane, and shared belief just re-broke. So the two sons of Candy Ride, a very hot sire, Matter of fact, our friend uh, Connor will be telling us about a hot candy ride stud he recently uh, syndicated. Um, they finished one, two in there, heads above the rest, but that was not a big field. All you had to do was key those on top of the field, and the payoffs were actually somewhat surprising. And then uh, a <clears throat> big day at Belmont Park, so we stuck there uh, with, with Tom Lamara, and uh, we'll take it from the bottom on up. Uh, the inner turf was listed as good for the Belmont Derby. Toast of New York was hoping for a harder track. That's why Toast of New York passed on the Epsom Derby. And the winner in here was Mr. Speaker. And come on, folks, you let this horse get away to price. Look at the connections. The Phipps Stable, owned and bred, trained by Shug McGahee, a son of pulpit out of an unbridled mare, gets the job done in the Belmont Derby. From there, we moved on to the very historic suburban handicap, and the winner in here, a New York bred, who's by a $3,000 stud, loves stories like that. He's won a lot of money now. This race is worth a half a million, and he'd already won a half a million. Zevo, 14 to 1, came from last to first to win the suburban a very exciting race. He beat uh, Moreno, who was two quarters of a length to the best of prayer for relief that surprisingly was led away at 26 to 1. Uh, then we move on to the Grade 1 Belmont Oaks Invitational, and the winner in here at 6 to 1, Minaret, was never far off the pace. Joel Rosario in the saddle, Chad Brown train. So Minaret got the job done over Sea Queen who was second over long shot Summer Solo, who came into the race three for three, undefeated. And the last race we handicapped with Tom uh, was uh, the Delaware Oaks. Uh, this race, grade two, 300,000. The winner in there, closing from seventh, got clear by two, was Fortune Pearl, trained by Graham Motion, coming out of a third-place finish in the Black-Eyed Susan. Uh, second, was the, the favorite joint return who got off a little bit slow and was last and had to rally, and third was Al-Bahim. So anyhow, that's a look at the races we took a look at last week. National news. Coming up next, we're going to talk to a bloodstock agent that's been all over the world. His name is Connor Foley, and you're listening to Winning Ponies. to the pros we, we cover, everything. cover everything let your voice be heard voice america sports and they're off what can't make it to the track you can still get all the action with winningponies.com the home of the easy win form the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds quarters and arabian horses at most american and canadian tracks whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. 
Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fan's perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network and let's talk football. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with us now is Connor Foley, who has... uh, Quite a set of credentials for a guy who, uh, according to his picture, sure doesn't look like he's that old. Uh, he, he's been uh, around the, the world with, with racing. Um, he grew up in Lexington, Kentucky. That's not a bad start for your world tour. Um, he has uh, just all kinds of experience, and I'm not going to go on and on. I'd rather let him tell us. But all I can tell you, he's got, uh, he's got quite, quite the resume. So with us right now is Connor Foley. Connor, how are you? Good, John. Thanks for having me on. I'm happy to. I'm happy to. Well, uh, as you know, I won't pull any punches. I was uh, introduced to you by Kim and Lori Williams. Uh, they were uh, pleased as punch to get the new stallion arrival, Kettle Corn, who's a horse with so much upside to him. But we'll talk about your acquisition and decision to move uh, to a state-bred program with him a little bit later in the interview. Right now, can you kind of give us a thumbnail sketch of who Connor Foley is and his experience in the thoroughbred world? Uh, well, like you said, I grew up in Lexington, Kentucky, which is a great great place to be introduced to the thoroughbred racing and breeding business. Uh, right out of college, I was fortunate enough to be able to become the stakes coordinator for the Breeders' Cup, and it was just like floating on air, really, to do a job like that at that age, and uh, I did that for almost four years, and the reason I left was Sheikh Mohammed, the ruler of Dubai, he is, uh, as I know you're aware, is as heavily invested as any individual in the world in the thoroughbred business, and he created a program called the Darley Flying Start, and Sheikh Mohammed has farms and racehorses all over the world, and the program is uh, 12 people from around the world are selected each year, and it's a two-year program, and you basically go all around the world learning everything you can about the thoroughbred business. So it starts in Ireland, then we went to England, uh, and we were in Ireland and England for six months. Then we came to Kentucky, America for six months. I was fortunate enough they sent me and one other to Japan for two of the months that we were in America. Then we went to Australia, 
Dubai, and then back to Europe. We finished in France and England and Ireland. And a typical day is uh, basically at the start of the day, you know, 5.36 in the morning, you are working with horses, either taking care of mares and foals, working with racehorses, uh, breaking yearlings, teaching them how to become a racehorse. Uh, and then about noon or 1, you stop. And you have an hour to go home and shower and eat something. And then you have lectures from essentially the leaders of the industry from each part of the world come give you lectures. And uh, the academic portion is quite tense. You know, you typically finish a lecture, maybe go get something to eat, and then you'd be up fairly late doing assignments and analysis and whatnot that they are studying for an exam. And uh, the whole thing, Sheikh Mohammed sponsors the whole thing. He actually, you know, uh, everything's paid for. He provides a living stipend for you. Um, you stay on his farms around the world. It was just the most amazing experience. Um, and it led and, to you getting a full-time job with Darley, didn't it? Yeah. before I, Right before I finished the course, uh, uh, Sheikh Mohammed, the management of his companies, asked me to come work for Darley in America. So I worked for Darley in America for um, a little over five years. And it was just another amazing experience. I was basically in charge of watching the business model of the stallions and how they affect, how what their place was in the market, how things affected their values and whatnot uh, would be the Easy, just complicated way to say it. And then um, <laughs> a couple of years ago, uh, I'm a third-generation entrepreneur on both sides of my family. I just uh, really wanted to start my own company. So I started an international bloodstock agency, and uh, it's just been an enormous amount of fun and tremendous learning experience. And, uh, you know, I'm very blessed that it's gone well in its infancy. So well, that's kind of that. I might have been longer than a thumbnail sketch, but that that uh, I felt what the flying start is such a unique program. I wanted a lot of people always have questions. I wanted to kind of explain it as best I could. Well, you know, as an entrepreneur, and obviously with the great experience uh, that you've just told us about, um, you, you've really become a, a self-made man and, and, and an expert in the business, uh, and I find. Because of your experience at, at Darley, I noticed that one of the things under the services that uh, Oracle offers is stallion acquisitions and analysis. Um, give me a little more inside information on that. Uh, what do you use as your base of analysis? Are, are you looking at uh, nicking systems? Are you looking at you know perhaps current trends that that are happening um you know studs that are starting to take off uh I'll stop talking you start telling well when you look at a stallion prospect uh you know the way you, you need to value it is to estimate how much revenue you think the stallion is going to receive from the mares that it breeds and the foals that they have and the stud fees that are paid over whatever amount of time that company or individual farm or whatnot is comfortable with uh, seeing a return on their investment. And so each 
really no stallion deal is ever alike. They all have a lot of the same characteristics and things, but because they're different horses and different owners and different buyers, they're always a little bit different. So uh, I'm, I, I, I've gained a lot of experience and uh, insight into being able to basically estimate how much they can return their investors. Um, so that part, that part is good for me in a way, I guess. And, uh, then the other part you need to look at is, uh, how attractive you think they'll be to the market as well as the attributes that they might be a sire of some kind of significance. And some of those things are like, I always like to see a horse beat older horses. I love seeing a three-year-old beat older horses. Um, you know, Basically, I think people overcomplicate looking at stallions and trying to figure out which ones are going to make it and which ones aren't. Great racehorses make great stallions. If you go back and look at the stallions of significance on really America or Europe and even Japan, you'll see that the common characteristic is very rarely does a stallion that sticks around for a while because he's successful, was he not a really good racehorse? So I always hold hold true to that, that when I look at a horse as a potential standing prospect. And <clears throat> like I know we mentioned before, but Kettle Corn is a good example. He was such a top-class racehorse. Uh, the speed figures that he was able to, produce and then the other exciting thing that when when you look at something is you don't want to see a spike in some kind of performance you want to see consistency Calcord was so consistent as a top class racehorse it's one thing for a horse to run you know 106 or 108 buyer but for kettle corn to run 112s or 108s and you know um, it's it's pretty impressive and so I'm excited about the Ohio program and Kim and Lori at Fairwinds Farm because He's really a unique opportunity for people in Ohio to uh, really get an exciting horse. Uh, not just that would be competitive in Ohio, but he he could sire horses that compete on the national stage. Uh, you know, look at California Chrome, for example. I know that's, I don't think people have properly put in perspective how amazing of a miracle it was that horse was able to do what he's done. But... Uh, it does happen, and if you get, you know, and the other cool thing about, you know, kettle corn going to Ohio is that a lot of great stallions, they started off for not that much money, if not nothing. Uh, take Stormcat, for example. I mean, he started off at 30, but really by his third year, W.T. Young was giving away seasons to the horse. Uh, St. Bellotto in Florida. Mr. Prospector, you know, uh, Danzig never made, almost never made it to Claiborne. Nobody wanted him. And this trainer called up Seth Hancock and was like, hey, you know, uh, this horse is really, really, really talented. You should give him a shot. And that was Charlie Winningham. So uh, they can come from anywhere. 
And well, you've got to love the fact that uh, you've probably happen. saved yourself a lot in advertising costs with kettle corn, <laughs> with shared belief in Candy Boy doing the work for you. I mean, Candy Ride is red hot right now. And as you know, in, in the state bread program, similar to Ohio's, that's getting an infusion of money uh, from the Racinos. It seems like you've really struck while the iron is hot with this stud up at Fairwinds. Yeah, uh, it, it's uh, it's exciting for to be involved with a horse like that in a position that he has. Uh, you know, uh, the Ohio breeding and racing program is almost like a chance for a rebirth. And you know, the other great part is that uh, it'll just create a lot of jobs for people in Ohio. Uh, you know, it'll 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 be great for not only people that like horse racing, but everybody that doesn't. You know, will feel the effect. Maybe not; they won't see it, but it'll strengthen the economy of Ohio by, by creating a lot of jobs within the agricultural sector. And uh, that's, that part's great, too. It's, just, it's, a, it's a win-win-win situation. I'm really, really excited about it. Well, I'm excited about uh, a young, energetic bloodstock agent like you uh, getting involved. And I really uh, appreciate what you imparted on to us tonight. I uh, hope you don't mind. I'm going to reach out to you again. I'd like to talk to you a little bit more about some of your perhaps bloodstock analysis of uh, the upcoming sales. And I've got your number in my Rolodex now, so you can't get away. Sure. No problem, John. Uh, thanks for having me on. It was, it was my pleasure. All right, if you want to learn more, you can go to uh, Connor at oraclebloodstock.com or just go to oraclebloodstock.com. It's an excellent site. He did a great job setting that up. We've been talking with Connor Foley, a bloodstock agent, and coming up next, Mr. Chicago is going to impart his wisdom on us about what's happening up at Arlington Park. I'm talking about Joey the K., Joe Christofek, he'll be with us. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. I just think that the coach made a mistake. All crazy. (laughs) NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with WinningPonies.com, the home of the Easy Win Form, the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let WinningPonies.com make some money for you. The job of a professional athlete is never complete. In Life After the Game, host Lamar Campbell will take an inside look at how athletes are making the transition from the professional athletics world to the professional business world. You'll understand the goals, motivations, and personalities that drive these players off the field and in their post-professional career. Tune in to Life After the Game with Lamar Campbell every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports.
You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. And with me is Joey the K, Joe Christopher from Chicago. I mean, if you've been watching racing for a while, uh, he's uh, probably like a uh, long-lost uncle. He's been on the air so long. Uh, he's uh, now the, the morning line maker for Arlington, and as I stated earlier, perhaps the toughest lines-making job in America, Kentucky Downs, with horses coming in from every state and country possible to race on that undulating grass course down there. And you really only get a chance to see them once for the most part because of their limited racing, but uh, it's the, the quality of racing down there is so much. And he's also a race writing for the Daily Herald newspaper. I want to make sure that we mention that his picks are online now, ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, again, making a line and giving picks are two different things. When you make the line, you're predicting what the public thinks is going to win, but given your own picks, well, that requires a little more handicapping and inside information. So, well, without uh, further ado, and uh, I want to introduce Joe Christopher and talk a little bit about America's Best Racing. This is uh, one of your newer ventures, Joe. Well, John, yeah, thanks for the intro, and uh, I appreciate being on with you. You and I have known each other and been friends for a long time, and it's always great to, to hear your voice and, and talk racing with you and uh, yeah, you mentioned the Arlington morning line and doing the selection. you got to look at the races in two completely different ways. You look at it from a public wagering perspective. Then you look at it from your own handicapping perspective. And my first inclination is to always try to be, beat the favorite. I don't try to beat the favorite just for the sake of doing so, but I like to be a little bit creative with my handicapping uh, and seek out some value as well. And, you know, those are all lessons that we learn in handicapping and wagering over the course of time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, I remember Mike Watchmaker from the Daily Racing Forum. I had him on, and he does his weekend warrior show, and he goes, you know, I usually pick three races, hardly ever pick the favorite, but he says, you know what, I've really only got to be right in one of those, and I'm going to make a profit. Uh, One of my things is, and I get into arguments with people about, you know, what is the job of a public handicapper, to pick as many winners as possible or to give the racing fans food for thought, and I think it's a combination of the two, but I don't know about you, John, when I leave the racetrack at the end of the day, I don't count how many winners I had, I count how much money I have in my pocket, and there's a big (laughs) difference between the two. That is a true handicapper right there, absolutely. Well, it's awful tough where I am right now, because we've got legendary jockey Perry Utes, and uh, once again, uh, I think he rode a four-bagger today, that's like the uh, fourth time in two weeks, and obviously you're not going to get a big price, so you, you, you want you want to bet a, you know your your pick threes pick fours or, or hope you get a bomb underneath so it, it, it makes it kind of tough but I, again as, as a lines maker and I want to tell everybody this when they first uh, look this is somewhat of a teaching a portion of winning ponies um, those are not the odds that are locked in as you know it's paramutual wagering and, and the the odds are going to float they're going to change now uh, my question is I know that since I was a kid. My handicapping style has changed, and the how we are inundated with information right now is is <laughs> it's hard to digest in in one case, but it's also 
uh, just a fantastic tool. And so I'm going to ask you right now, what are some of the favorite things that, that you like to use uh, when you approach a card? Well, um, you know, I've been playing the races for the better part of 20 years, John, and I can say this. It's a tougher game, and it's an easier game. And what I mean by that is it's a tougher game to have an edge because of all the information that's out there. Like you mentioned, I mean, when I first started playing, we could play Chicago. We couldn't play simulcast races. And, right. you know, if you watch the races every day religiously, you had a serious edge because you either kept your own records or you kept, you know, the information in the back of your mind that you could draw back on when you're playing the races, you know, three weeks down the road when the same horses run back. Now all the stats are in front of you. Everybody's got stats. You've got DRF, a formulator. Brisnet does an amazing job putting out stats. So it's easier for the guy that's not following the races every day to, you know, kind of equalize with the guy that's following the circuit every day. That being yeah, we said, got great, uh, I think easy watching win replays are called on um, winning ponies. And, and, and really, uh, so really some of the prices we've given out are on, just been through be the roof. For you. you with me, Joe? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I may have talked over you. I apologize. Uh, just uh, just talking about the, even the products that uh, that that winning ponies gives out. And like you said, there's there's just so much to to look at and and how we've evolved. You know, I mean, uh, uh, you know, 30 years ago we didn't have a thing called buyer speed figures. You're still trying to figure out how to use the track variant, and and then now we've thrown into the mix though less and less uh, synthetic surfaces. Uh, which has given us another mind-boggling thing to look at at, at handicapping. But I'll say one thing. When I look at uh, your cards up at Arlington, you guys always seem to do a good job at, at drawing in European runners, and I think it's because of uh, your, your use of your turf course so often. Yeah, they do an amazing job. I mean, it's one of the most beautiful turf courses, obviously, in North America. People like to come from all over the world to race here. They get the VIP treatment, obviously, from Mr. D, you know, who loves, um, you know, the international influence. You know, they go by Arlington International uh, to try to try to draw, you know, m- more of a, you know, uh, a crowd of horses that come from, from everywhere and, and, and really make it, you know, a worldwide type of situation. Uh, obviously, particularly on Million Day where, you know, the International Racing Bureau has been recruiting horses for the Million Day card for the better part of several months, and we always get a good contingent, which I believe makes the racing that much more interesting and uh, you know and fascinating to us to an extent. Well, aside from wearing the hat of odds makers, what are your other roles and duties at Arlington and for the Daily Herald? Well, I do those selections every day for the Daily Herald. I've been doing that for, I believe it's 12 years now. Um, and just now this season, they've been putting uh, a PDF uh, format of the selections at dailyherald.com. So you can go there, go to the sports section, go to horse racing, and find my Arlington Daily picks from top to bottom there. For Arlington, I do the morning line odds. Um, I do some other statistical information for them. And I also do quite a few group seminars, uh, fan education, fan development, which, uh, as you know, John, from, you know, the better part of the entire time I've been in racing has been my passion. And, you know, I still think the racing game as a whole falls short in the fan development area. I'm doing everything that I can. I'd like to do even more. Um, But I, I, I think it's important, you know, if somebody has an initial interest in racing, you have to develop them as a racing fan uh, and accelerate the process. 
Yeah, and the great part about our game is that it's, it's a social thing. Uh, that you do it with your friends. I, I've got uh, you know, 25 and 27-year-old sons that say, hey, Dad, we're coming down to the races today. And they come down with four or five buddies. And it's so cool to see them at whatever level, learning just the little pieces of it and getting together. And as you know, so often when you're a neophyte, you, know, you fall into something and get lucky, and all of a sudden one of these guys is walking away with a $300, $320 trifecta, you know, and it's like, ooh, you know, and all of a sudden you feel like, great, we just got one more fan for life. <laughs> and it's just a matter of holding their hand and bringing them along because <clears throat> it can be intimidating and, and the information that's out there. But again, once you get your eye for it, you know, uh, and you get a love of it and you realize that you're not betting against a machine, uh, that you're betting against everybody else there, hey, if you feel like you're the smartest guy in the room, you're going to come out of there with some money. Well, I mean, everyone has a different personality. Everyone mind, everyone's mind works differently. Some people are born with gamble in their blood. Some people are not born with gamble in their blood. But like you mentioned, it can be a social enjoyment. It can be a mental enjoyment where, you know, there's the ego of trying to put together the puzzle and picking the winner. Obviously, it can be a boost to the ego. Um, you know, and it can be a, a boost to the, the pocketbook, too. And you can put hours upon hours upon hours in the the research and watching replays and handicapping, or you can just go to the racetrack and have a general idea of what you're doing and still have a good time with a potential chance to win. I think learning how to wager correctly is more important than learning how to handicap um, because you have to be able to maximize your budget, whatever that budget may be. And that's the first thing I try to teach people is, hey, what is your budget? What are you trying to accomplish? Are you trying to swing for the fences and hit a home run? Or are you trying to double your money? And then we just kind of take it from there. Great philosophy. Well, in doing so, um, I'd kind of like to double my money this weekend at Arlington, so uh, <laughs> I thought I'd give you a call. And uh, first of all, uh, these races are going to be uh, on the weeds for the most part that we're looking at. How's the weather up there? Are we looking for a firm turf course? Hey, wait a minute, John. There's no weeds on the Arlington turf course. It's, uh, it's a term. It's a term. <laughs> how, how about Greensward? You like that better? Yeah, we'll, we'll go with that one. That'll work. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, there's four great races. I mean, they call it Arlington Million Preview Day. The top couple horses in all these races uh, will come back on Arlington Million Day. They're normally secondary contenders on Million Day. But no matter what, like the competitiveness of these races, they're all legitimate grade threes. They've all got a little bit of star power. They've all got a little bit of intrigue and horses with upside and you know that's all you can ask for in stakes races and i believe the vast majority of people even though you know dirt racing rules in america love grass racing it's it's competitive it's you know full of square priced horses that have a shot and i think they're the best kinds of races to watch for trip notes moving forward so i love the turf i love this saturday and uh, there are no shortage of opportunity uh, but once again are we looking at uh, pretty good weather up in chicago yeah well the forecast right now for Saturday is for 40% chance of scattered storms. <laughs> I don't think it could be any more uh, indecisive as far as Mother Nature goes than that. It could be perfect, or we could get a little bit of rain, and uh, I guess that remains to be seen. That's one thing you can't control in life is Mother Nature, John. Uh, certainly not up around your town. Well, once again... <clears throat> Anybody that's been capping for a while knows that American horses are used to running on either dirt or certainly uh, more used to firm turf courses. Um, Does a a softer yielding course uh, turn your eye to uh, the uh, 
European horses that'll be running on the card. And let's start uh, with the Modesty Handicap, Grade Three, going a mile and three sixteenths. Um, doesn't look like we've got we've got a British bred and an Irish bred. I, I was before knowing the weather report, given a pretty hard look at this Galsari uh, from Ireland that Gary Stevens will be aboard. Yeah, there's some breaking news on Gary Stevens. He's not going to be on any of these horses. Right before I came on, John, I saw a report that Gary Stevens is going to have knee replacement surgery. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for breaking that story. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Just Word just broke literally right before I came on the air. Wow, because he had been doing so well. I mean, when I had him on the show a couple months ago, he said his, his knee didn't feel this good when he was a teenager. Yeah, well, I, I guess, you know, when you've got knees like his, and I did an extensive interview with Jerry for America's Best Racing in the Spotlight a few months ago, and he basically told me the same thing. But, you know, when you get to be 51 years old, and you and I both know, you know, the aches and pains can creep up and become more identified. And, uh, yeah, so knee replacement surgery We've got uh, Drayden Van Dyke, who Tom Proctor actually gave his start to. He won his first race in November of last year. He's going to pick up all these Proctor mounts for Gary Stevens. So this is going to put him kind of on the big stage. I know, you know he's caught a lot of people's eyes out in California, so we'll see if Drayden can be a, an able replacement for Gary Stevens. But, yeah, Gary off all his mounts, out for six months with knee replacement, and uh, Drayden Van Dyke will pick up these mounts on Saturday at Arlington. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Joe Christofek, breaking news here on Winning Ponies. Unbelievable. Well, again, now, now I break it down. I'm going to ask you to put 10 pounds in a 5-pound sack. Um, got about, let's say, seven minutes to try to break down four races. I know that's way too much, but I know that you as the odds maker had to take a good look at these races. Let, let's start with the modesty. Give us a couple of horses to give an extra look to. Man, this is the most wide-open race. You mentioned that, John, when I came on. There's so many... Phillies in here that uh, look pretty equal on paper. The one that I went to was White Rose. She's got an explosive turn of foot. Bill Mott, the trainer, Julian Leperu, the rider, uh, would seem to fit her to a T. You watch the replay of her last run at Churchill. She just absolutely demolished a pretty good field that day. And maybe she's coming into her own at age four. She should have a legitimate enough pace to run at here. Um, I like White Rose quite a bit in the modesty. Other horses to look at, obviously you've got uh, Golseri, the Irish bread coming in for Proctor, who just missed another Curtana stakes at Churchill last out. And the lukewarm morning line favorite, LaBreed, coming in for Christophe Clement, who always sends live horses to Arlington. And this Philly's got some great at stakes experience. So I think it'll be one of those three, or it could be somebody else that's that wide open. You know, you can go in so many different directions here. Well, I'm, 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 the horse that, that, I'm, I'm picking the horse that they named after you that you hadn't named yet, and that's. I'm already sexy, a horse who's undefeated at Arlington Park and one of the few uh, really horses for course at Arlington Park that's not a talented Illinois bred. So I'm, I'm going to go with your namesake, I'm already sexy, Joe. Let's move on to the ninth race. It's a derby, the American Derby, but it's not run at a mile and a quarter. It's run at a mile and three-sixteenths on the Arlington Greens word, as we like to call it now. Um, a lot of people uh, have been kind of reading and talking to people are uh, giving an, a little edge to this school of hard rocks. And I'll just have you know, Joe, I download early, so I don't have any odds on, on in front of me. So I, I, all I saw was I, all of a sudden it seemed that uh, Dave Hoffman's, who doesn't usually race there, uh, put blinkers on this horse, and this horse just ran lights out last time, cruised to an easy four-link lead and an optional climber. Yeah, you're going to see California Chrome and his company lines in the 
Yeah. And Felipe Insanity, the Derby. Um, didn't run well at all in those races, John, but since going the turf, and as you mentioned, since putting blinkers on last time, go back and watch the replay of that allowance win on May 31st at Santa Anita. It was absolutely explosive. He won under a hand ride. He got a big number that day. Victor Espinosa coming in to ride. Made him a lukewarm morning line favorite. But if he runs the same way he ran in California last out, he's going to be really, really tough to beat in this spot. And I think um, one of more, my more confident picks in the four races will be School of Hard Rocks in the American Derby. Well, again, it, these horses, uh, only uh, f- four of them in the race were actually nominated uh, to the Triple Crown. Um guy that will show up for big races all the time is uh, Todd Pletcher. Uh, he's in here with a horse by the name of Divine Oath that he plunked $200,000 for. Ran against a, a slow pace last time out in the, in the Penn Mile and gave a little bit of a run through the stretch. I'm thinking the distance might help that horse. and A horse that has a very similar running line against a slow pace last time out, and you got to see this horse run was affordable. I think between the two, you know, I think it didn't Istenford kind of just kind of steal that race and this horse made a run against it in the lane. Yeah, and John, you uh, you pegged the three morning line favorites in order. School of oh, Hard Rock. Hey, maybe I know the bacon line myself. There you go. And affordable. And you're right, he did run into a slow pace. Uh the Philly Istan Ford went wire to wire in the Arlington Classic and affordable did run well that day and you know one of the better Illinois breads, you know, for Pravo fantastic mare, taxable deduction. You know, the blocks are known for their Illinois bred that are capable of winning graded stakes in and out of the state of Illinois. So, you know, I think you've defined three of the top contenders. You're throwing one more in there. I think highball in the barn of Wayne Catalano. He's still learning. He was a little green in his last race. But, um, you know, he's moving forward. Only two starts in his career. Race against older and both, and he's bred to stay the distance, too. So I think that's an up-and-comer in the field, and you know, I think they're going to have to go a long way to beat School of Hard Rocks, though. Well, it, it will be interesting coming in uh, from Santa Anita, but I, lo- I love to see horses with equipment changes that, that, that jump up and, and do well. So that was a look at the American Derby, mile and 316th. That'll be the ninth race. Again, we're moving backwards here with Joe Christopher. And the eighth race, it's the Stars and Stripes, another grade three. This one stretching out. We're going a mile and a half. Um, I had a hard time separating this field. I guess if, if something floated to the top for me, it was when I'm looking at all of the horses in here, the horse that seems to not win a lot lately but has kind of a class edge is Sun Tracer, uh, who just had a sensational workout on July 6th up there at Arlington Park. Horse hasn't won for two years. I'm probably insane, but I like the back class on this horse. Yeah, he's had some hard luck. He's run some good races, including uh, the Stars and Stripes last year. He was second. Then he came back in the American Ledger, which is a million-day race, and he ran second again. So um, I made him the slight favorite. He lost the war dance. Is that a war fact? Dance, <laughs> war dancers entered in the handicap. I love it. Well, uh, this race, and as a matter of fact, all these races that I may have alluded to earlier, uh, has some really talented Illinois breads, and one that I certainly can't overlook is the pizza man who if you go back far enough in sun tracers uh pps uh the pizza man has beaten him uh at hawthorne on a yielding course uh how good is this illinois bread the pizza man he's really good and he's very well managed i mean anytime you've got a horse who's run 15 times and has 10 wins that's a well-managed horse they give this horse time off 
He always comes back and fires fresh. And you mentioned Illinois breads, John. Uh, Mr. Mardi Gras um, isn't an Illinois bread, but he's from Chris Block's barn, uh, which, you know, sometimes we could uh, mistake him for one. But he's entered in both races of Stars and Stripes and in the Arlington Handicap. I made him 9-2 to in the Stars and Stripes and 5-1 to in the Arlington Handicap, which I'm sure isn't helping Chris Block decide which race he wants to win in. <laughs> but I picked him in both. So um, I was very, very impressed with the way he won that race. At Arlington on June 21st, he looked as good or better than ever at age seven. It was a good turf course that day, so there's some give in the ground. I think that'll help him a little bit. And he beat a six-caliber allowance field that day. So Mr. Mardi Gras, either in the Stars and Stripes or, I know, the race that we're going to get to next, which is Arlington Handicap, I like him either or, although I do think he's a little bit better suited to a mile and a quarter than a mile and a half. Well, again, just these are some very, very competitive horses, and with the with the time that I've that I put up against you, I know it's awful tough. There's probably other horses uh, that we certainly like to, uh, to to mention in this segment, but uh, those are ones that I think that have definitely uh, come to the top for sure. Well. Uh, Appreciate you moving through this so fast with me, Joe. And again, we're moving backwards. And I did that for your field size in case we we didn't get to uh, the Arlington handicap. But it looks like we are. And you know, sometimes it's some of the shorter fields that are tougher to handicap. The Arlington handicap at a mile and a quarter is just stacked, stacked with talent. Um, Quite frankly, as I look at it, you know, I look at, you know, horses that have, you know, had some success over the Arlington course, but uh, my man, Kenny McPeak, who started out in my backyard, this war dancer, I think he's going to eat it up at a mile and a quarter, and I do notice that Kenny settled this horse in in Chicago. The horse has been up there early and actually had a breeze over the turf course. Yeah, you always love when a trainer does that, and this horse obviously fits the bill here. He keeps getting better. He's legitimate. He seems to really relish distances upward of a mile and a quarter, even a mile and a half. I think the best is yet to come with this horse, John. I think I think turf horses especially get better with age. I very rarely will pick a mid-season four-year-old against an older horse, although obviously War Dancer has a legitimate chance, as does Admiral Kitten who uh, is familiar to Arlington Racing fans from winning the Secretariat last year at out to 5-1. to one. Uh, He has one win since in the Conley at Sam Houston and has been knocking heads with some really serious lawnmowers. So War Dancer's legitimate, Admiral Kitten's legitimate. But like I said, I love the way Mr. Mardi Gras ran last time. I love the way he's trained since. I think he's going to be a square price in either the Handicap or the Stars and Stripes. And... Uh, you know, he's going to scratch out of one of them. It remains to be seen which race he's going to run in, but I like him either or probably even a little bit better if he runs in the handicap. Well, again, if, if he would come out, that would leave us with a, a five-horse field. And again, you know, anytime you see a kitten's joy on the grass, uh, trained by Mike Maker, you know, you've got to give this horse a second look. So impressive last year, 5-1, to one, uh, uh, winning, winning the Secretariat. Uh, the horse has traded some wins uh, with Infinite Magic, your outside horse uh, that's going to be in this race. Only, it's only had one start this year. It was uh, in a yielding uh, race at Belmont Park. But, again, this is a horse that won your Grade 3 American Derby up there. You just, there's no throwouts in here. No, there's not, and you really can't toss out Finnegan's Wake either. I mean, this horse hasn't won since 2012, and it's probably been in over his head a little bit, but he ran fourth in the Arlington Million last year, and you know, he's got some great horses in his company lines. We'll take charge, Wise Dan, 
uh, the Apache, Hyper, Boisterous, Point of Entry. Um, so maybe this is the day for Finnegan's Wake. He seems to get a little bit of clash beliefs, and uh, Victor Espinosa is going to ride him for Dale. So, you know, I, I think all six horses have a legitimate chance in there. Avin Zare, the horse that went wire-to-wire for Proctor last out, is a progressive type, and, uh, you know, this is a horse with some upside. So he, he can't toss him out either. Well, my, my heart will be with Donnie Gall Racing and Jerry Crawford from Finnegan's Wake. Uh, you probably didn't hear at the top of the show, but Dullahan passed away yesterday, and uh, I was sorry to hear that. He was a nice horse that, that was going to be retired to stud and went very quick from college. So, Joe Christopher, I'm uh, getting the uh, finger, and I will tell you which one from my producer, Justin, telling me <laughs> it's time to get out. Thanks so much for, uh, for spending time with us. And tell, tell the people one more time where they can get your picks online out of Chicago. Uh, dailyherald.com, go to sports, go to horse racing. And, you know, if you want more fan education stuff, go to americasbestracing.net. I tackle a different subject in a video and print blog every week and doing spotlight interviews as well. The most recent one was with Eddie Olchek, who is a great hockey and now horse racing uh, broadcaster as well. And I think you'll find that fun, fun and informative. So americasbestracing.net for fan ed and dailyherald.com for our LinkedIn picks. All right, we've been spending time with Joe Christofek. I want to thank Connor Foley. You can get a look at his work at oraclebloodstock.com. That's it for me. I'm John Engelhardt. Thanks for tuning in to Winning Ponies. And remember, when you come to the races, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhardt. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.